Jurassic Park for a minute while discussing the second Jurassic Park sequel one at a time. I'm Brad. And Dave. And today we're back to end out the week and leave the aviary with minute 65 of Jurassic Park 3. Before we get to that, David, briefly looking over at Jurassic-pedia.com. Uh, I'm not sure if we've brought up the uh, the aviary entry that's there. I think we started doing the, uh, the Jurassicpedia stuff after we got to the aviary, but in case we haven't... Uh, We've got a link in the show notes here to the uh, aviary write-up for Jurassic-Pedia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one was basically one that was already written, and then I expanded a little bit with more um, with another picture, basically describing the uh, in the interior design and the exterior design. And I mean, it's a nice little article. It's not super in depth as say the Worker Village, but then again. A lot of the work, I mean, I'm sorry, a lot of the uh, aviary, such as its purpose when it was built, with what uh, the purpose exactly of creating and housing these specific pteranodon and all that kind of stuff is basically a mystery. I mean, of all the of all of the um, structures and so on, this is this one's probably one with uh, the most intrigue attached to it. Mm. Yeah, it's probably it's probably got the least amount of behind the scenes stuff. We've been posting up some stuff of the aviary platform itself, but and even some of the uh, the sets for on the, on the pond in the back lot. But yeah, there's not there's not a hell of a lot about the aviary itself. So yeah, head over to JurassicPeter.com and uh, check out the aviary entry and a lot more stuff about sauna on the website. Yeah. Which yeah. the island did you explore? Stay pretty close to the compound. I figured if anyone came looking for me, that's where they'd start. Alright, Dave, ready to get you into 65. Sure. As we end minute 64, we go our last look at Billy as he's submerged underwater, being attacked by two hovering pteranodons above the river, and Grant and Paul had turned and run, realising they're now the target of a third pteranodon. As we start on minute 65, we cut back to Amanda and Eric as they've got the first gate open, and run down a small corridor to a second gate, which opens a lot quicker. And as they push the gate open, we can see the boat further downstream. At the five second mark, we cut back to Paul and Grant as they're running down the riverbank, trying to get as much space between them and the Tyranodon as they can. At the seven second mark, we cut to the exterior of the aviary gate, as Amanda opens it and holds it open, waiting for her husband and Grant to arrive. As we cut back to them running along the bank, they realize they're not gonna make it and dive into the river at the last moment as the Pteranodon swoops in low, claws extended. Amanda slams the gate shut and runs for the boat as Paul and Grant swim deep underwater, under the cage and the barrier of the aviary, and out into the open air. At 23 second mark, a large Pteranodon that was following him swoops in low and grips onto the cage wall and shakes it violently, trying to get to the prey outside, but it can't. At the 30 second mark, we cut to Grant and Paul swimming down river, past cages, military trunks, and other human debris that's littered the area, making their way towards the boat where Amanda and Eric now are. At the 38 second mark, we cut back to that exterior gate of the Avery, as if a ghost blew by, it slowly creaks open as the lever falls off the locking mechanism. The animals are free to escape. At the 46 second mark, we cut back to the boat as Grand and Amanda have long sticks 
They're using them to manoeuvre the boat out in the deeper water and to catch the current. Grant hears the squawk of the Tronodons and looks up as the fog's now cleared and we get a full image of the horror of the Isosorna Aviary. And as the minute ends, the boat slowly drifts down the jungle river away from the Tronodons. As we open on 65, we see Amanda and Eric make a run from the first perimeter gate to the second. And uh, I love how we got the construction here. Yes, it's not the same as what we've seen previously with uh, the vehicle accessible gates on Sauna and Nublar, but just the, the whole concept of having an inner and outer gate. Whenever I go to the zoo, um, butterfly enclosures, that sort of stuff where you've got an inner and outer door, <laughs> it just always makes me think about um, this sort of stuff. Mm. But but looking closer here as they come to the second gate, the control panel on the, there's there's one on either end. We don't really see much of it at the other end, but one here with uh, four or five different big buttons and switches and a red telephone looking unit here, which David, you speculated you've seen something like this up on the uh, platform earlier. And yeah, yeah, did I? I what I basically think this telephone here would have been used for is probably I'm sure at some point this would have possibly been electrified, maybe even. And at some point, they would have had to have buzzed them, buzzed the guy into this. I think it's interesting how they got like a pile of leaves on the big giant latch to the door, basically <laughs> implying that's not been opened in eight years. You know? Yeah, yeah. But the red, but the telephone being red obviously would have been an emergency phone if they ever needed to use one. You know? Yeah, and in a couple of the. Uh photos here I'll post up on the group you can clearly see the the spiral cord looping down back up on the platform where the uh the stairs drop down to the edge of the bridge um there's also a telephone mount there which is seemingly a plastic cover half broken over so obviously to keep it out of the weather but mm -hmm. uh the cord on that's hanging down so the receiver must be hanging down on the floor somewhere but we see it yeah. when Billy comes up and clips his uh parachute on we see it again when Grant comes running up to try and stop him but mm -hmm. yeah it doesn't have to be these probably aren't even connected to the work of Village or anyone else. It's just site-to-site -site communication through a copper copper cable, copper line. But we do see with the exterior too the sort of the power cable coming down off the side of the uh, aviary as well. So, and all all along the catwalks and cages, we've seen lights dotted along it. So there is power running here. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to some of the other stuff that's on top of the uh, the cages here when we get to a bit of a look later on. Um, but Amanda and Eric begin to push down on that lever and the door lock, and at the very far end of it, you can see the sort of two steel tabs on the end of it where you'd put a padlock for or maybe um, some sort of electronic locking mechanism, but it's sort of hard to uh, hard to see how these latches would actually stay locked <laughs> and not just be something that you need brute strength to be able to open mm -hmm. or, uh, or human human knowledge, human engineering. But as they get the lock open, they start to push the gate, and we cut to a scene behind them. And through the uh, through the gate, you can see the boat, or the outline of the boat, a little bit further down river, which makes the boat being a lot closer to the aviary than what we seen earlier when Grant was looking down at it with binoculars. Could you think if you could see the boat that easily, you'd be able to see down to the bottom of this gate here as well, maybe? Mm -hmm. But we get a cut. We get a cut back as um, or get a quick cut back as Paul and Grant run along the river's edge. Again, along this great-looking set with the waterfalls sort of running down beside them. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's when we cut to the exterior shot of the aviary exit entry. And uh, we've got two rooftop, or two big floodlights on top of the cage, as well as a uh, video camera and a speaker, which, <laughs> interesting, the speaker's there when the phone's there. 
Mm-hmm. Is it a speaker or is it a um? Sp- oh, oh no! I see the. No, I, I see the speaker now. I was looking at the floodlight. <laughs> I don't know yeah, what else they, it would be unless it was a, some sort of water cannon or something. <laughs> I would I would imagine that the speaker was probably to let somebody know or maybe even sound an alarm that the cage was open. You know? Yeah, I'd say more more probably alarm, sound, setting mm-hmm. alarm. But even like the uh, interesting, this is the first video camera we've seen outside or in the aviary as well. And we know those mm-hmm. monitors were up in the very top observatory when we come into there, so mm-hmm. there was definitely power here. Yeah, I think that they would have the speakers would have been either to like sound an alarm that the gate was open and the video camera was there to identify whoever was being buzzed in to the uh into the in or out of the cage, you know. Well, especially since it's tilted down now, that could be again after eight years of um animals and whatever else vines growing over it, but the fact that it's actually pointing down towards the uh the gate and not out um would definitely suggest that. Mhm. But also, as the uh, as the gates open here, we get a fantastic look at that red phone in there and the sort of big buttons and there's like a yellow box as well, which might be some sort of emergency first aid or something um, hanging on the cage wall as well. Um, yeah. I, something I do like about this, and this is again an actual set that they built, and um, on the back part of the huge the huge canyon, as we talked about uh, last episode is you can see all the work that went into the, uh I mean just imagine in real life all the work that went into us I mean you can see a power cable going to a little electrical box near the top of the um of the uh of the uh, gate <laughs> no why that was such a strong and you can see like I mean obviously this I they probably all weren't real but big concrete blocks that they would have built into this and basically big hunks of steel and this was heavy duty they did not want these things out you know well yeah the, the, just the difference between the set itself and what the um what it's trying to purvey like yeah the fact that these massive concrete pillars and we'll see later when we get that shot back at the avery dome like the amount of steel in this thing <laughs> there's, there's a reason why these massive concrete footings and that are here at the ground level mm-hmm. but then the set itself like even here we know from all previous sets in the Jurassic franchise, most of the time you see concrete, it's either painted plywood or, or plaster. Um, yeah. And it's, it's sort of, it, it does show here when we get this shot with Amanda, just sort of how small the set is as well, because we only sort of see the edge of the river and the one span that Grant and Paul will leap through in a little bit, but then we pull out to uh, to that wider shot later, and there's you can see there'd have to be, a lot more, a lot more of these fans that sort of keep on going out and around the bottom of the dome. But it's just another thing where a lot of the um, practical stuff we've seen in the aviary seems very small and somewhat tight. But yet, as soon as we get the CG stuff, that's when it's we really get the size and scale of what the aviary should have been. Mm-hmm. Alan and Paul um, are still running, um, but as uh, the Trinidon swoops in low, they sort of know they're not going to make it to the gates and do a big old swan dive off the uh, riverbank and plunge into the water. And a couple of shots here, one where Alan looks back at those uh, CG claws coming down out of the sky to grab him, and again, just before he jumps in the water, where 
we've talked before about high def and how it hasn't been kind to directors we're using stunt stunt actors and maybe it's not as clear on vhs or in the cinema that the uh, actor's not really there but here you can clearly see that's not grand <laughs> and I, I sort of made the joke especially when he's um jumping in the water it almost looks like a younger harrison ford which would go back to harrison ford originally going to be or going for alan what would his character be like in jurassic park 3 <laughs> if he would have even come back I mean, yeah, I remember that he was really, really reluctant with the uh, character of Harrison, I mean, I'm sorry, of Han Solo, and basically did not want to come back unless they could guarantee that they're going to kill the character off. <laughs> he did. He, he, I know that for Indiana Jones, he was very attached. He's very, very attached to that character, and he basically, like, covets it. But with Harrison Ford, I, I mean, I'm sorry. With Han Solo, he never really had that same kind of emotional attachment to that character. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because it makes you wonder if he would have had that same kind of emotional attachment with, say, um, uh, Alan Grant, you know? Mm. Well, even Indiana Jones, I'm hearing now that he's not the recast and it's it's going to be someone else doing Indy 5, so I, I don't even know what's going on there. <laughs> Uh, I just I remember hearing um, him say that basically they're recasting over my dead body. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, if it's enough, and the the uh, Force Awakens goes off, maybe it will be over his dead body. <laughs> uh, unless you just just keep the man out of a plane, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Amanda must see them leap in the water because she. Um, goes back to the gate and pushes it shut, which I don't think she would have done that if um, she hadn't seen him jump into the water, but it sort of bounces off the um, off the steel frame a little bit, but it seemingly locks closed, because it doesn't really move that that far out, and I suppose as we see in a little bit, the um, the lock's almost down where it needs to be, but not quite. But, uh, yeah, it gets kind of stuck on the, um, on the locking mechanism, but doesn't really hold, unfortunately, for... Yeah, yeah, uh, and re- remember here too that they left the inside gate open, so this is the only thing now, <laughs> this closed gate that's keeping mm-hmm. the Turandons in. But um, Grant Paul continues to swim underwater, and here we sort of get a bit more of that realistic underwater shot where it's <laughs> a bit dirtier, a bit, or a bit, it might be just the filth they used, um, or they might have put something in the water, but a few bubbles in there and a bit dirtier as they sort of pass under the barrier, and we get that shot up above as they're um, mm-hmm. under the water. And um, come up, come up out of the water, and get a uh, big old, big old breath of air. But again, through the barrier, you can see that boat in the distance again. They turn back as the Trinidad comes swooping in, lands on that cage wall that sort of comes down the water's edge, and shaking on it violently, but uh, seemingly can't get out. Um, even though the barrier doesn't go all the way, <laughs> all the way to the water, or even lower. <laughs> the mesh on the walls isn't that big, so fish and that would be able to still swim through it if it was down into the water. Yeah. Evidently, though, the Tyrannodons are not big on swimming. No, no, it seems not. Um, but Paul and Grant's, uh, Paul, yeah, Paul and Grant start to swim, passing some uh, military trunks, which are littered on the ground. There's one closed they come across, and there's um, another one further up on the bank that's sort of laying on side, and the lid's open. And there's a lot of man-made junk here. <laughs> yeah, there is. It's like basically a bunch of just. Uh, as you said, the military crates and even a couple cages were just left behind. There's one on the uh, right side of the bank and then another one on the left side of the bank. 
And it's interesting because, I mean, obviously they were using this barge to transport these crate, these uh, cages and possibly the crates as well. But it's it's like, why why would they wash up here, you know? Well, that's the thing, because we see when we get to the boat itself, there's a cage already mounted to the boat. Now, whether in the, uh, in the script and the novel it was originally going to be a barge, whether or not the... Um, I really wish there was some sort of dock here. <laughs> there might be something deeper than jungles just grown over it. I understand that, but cages don't float. They don't wash away. Like, where they're sitting no. is pretty much where they'd have to be from back then. So has there been a... Um, has the river come up in level, but then it's not coming up to where the bottom of the aviary is. So it's... It's, yeah, it's a weird one. Especially because, I mean, like you said, like, uh, it would be better if there was a dock here. But at the same time, I mean, why at this specific location? Why at the aviary? I mean, you would think that they would have the dock further downstream, which we actually do see them building one or possibly having at least some kind of maintenance of one where the Spinosaurus attacks them because you see in that in uh, concept art from that one where there's basically it's basically referred to as a marina mm. and you see uh, like docks with a couple boats and they almost look like old fishing boats that basically been just retrofitted to carry the cages and it's interesting because here there's also concept art for a bunch of just cages but they're all in disarray and broken out of and it looks like this was basically a dumping site for a bunch of old junk that engine didn't want to use. Well, even the concept of that's interesting. Like, why, why, why send it all up river to the aviary when you can just take it out in some unspecific part of the jungle and dump it? Yeah, I mean, they own the island. It's not like anybody was going to come up to them and say, "Hey, you can't dump here." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just looking at looking back at the uh, the shot from. Early when Grant's looking down for binoculars, like the river's a lot wider here than what we see here. Um, there are several cages in the water. There's a tire, there's tires, and all that sort of stuff too. And the boat itself, sort of sitting out in the water more than what we see here, where it's clearly somehow being anchored to the uh, to the bank. But yeah, it's just, again one of those one of the mysteries of sauna. Mm-hmm. This is why we need a prequel. This is why we need a couple prequel movies just to. I mean, explain all this. I mean, really. I mean, I know it would take away a lot of the mystique and the intrigue, but still, at the same time, I want answers. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the cages here, that the one that's on the bank they swim past, hasn't even got a wall on one side of it. So it obviously goes up to something and gets bolted to it or something, like a concrete wall or, or something. Even there's one shot I sent you that where they're swimming past the uh, the two trunks and the, the, the container or box that's open on its side it looks like there's some sort of concrete under that mm-hmm. and it goes across past behind that cage to where the front of the boat is so i think there is some sort of dock there it's just they've they've really gone to work on set dressing and you can't see it which again is a very big shame mm-hmm. as everyone walks towards the boat we get a shot back at the uh, exterior gate and we zoom in on that locking handle obviously not down where it should be in as if God himself come down and blew a breath of wind at the door. It uh, creaks open unexpectedly. And we're going to get the uh, the Trandons loose at the end. We, we know sort of Amanda just pushed the gate closed. Did we, did we need to see the, the gate not locking properly? 
I kind of feel like it's important. I mean, otherwise people would be wondering, well, how did they get out? You know, I mean, unfortunately, and I kind of feel bad for saying this, but then I kind of don't. But people sort of need to have this weird thing that they um, are need to be spoon fed yeah. these days, you know? It's, it's like if it's not spoon-fed to them, it's not real. Yeah. Yeah. Even even just coming to the, the um, idea that, well, that Tramadon was there on that gate on the fence when they swam under it, and it's seeing them swimming under it, it's got the idea as well, hey, I can go underwater here and come back out. Yes, they might not like to swim, but if it means escaping. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's the only one here. The other's off with Billy somewhere, so... Yeah, and as we get to the uh, in a minute with the script and the, or the novel, especially there's a lot more. <laughs> a lot more here we see the animal actually escaping. But um, Paul and Grant uh, keep swimming. No, I've done that. <laughs> Damn it! I read. <laughs> Scrolled back up again. Um, we cut back to the boat as it starts to float down river. We've got Amanda and Grant standing on the sides with some large branches, um, pushing mm-hmm. them away from the uh, the bank as the boat's being maneuvered out into deeper water. And uh, we cut to Grant, and he's soaking wet and um, using his branches more, and he looks up, taking the sight behind him of the uh, the aviary itself. Mm-hmm. Now, this is kind of one of those great shots that we see of this, of the movie, or from the movie of the aviary. And you can see the clouds starting to clear, and one of the, um, it looks like you can see that on the other side of the catwalk that, you would have been able to walk down eventually to the um, area where where they um, exited. Well, looks like it looks it looks like the, there's a set of stairs on the inside that connects or is leading to the area where the gate is. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I was yeah. Well, we'll focus on that start off. It zigzags down the uh, edge of the dome where it goes up, where it sort of goes up to the first bit and. If you go back, if you look sort of where where it is there, it almost looks like that's where it goes around the back of the dome. Um, mm-hmm. But it's maybe my complaint about the dome itself, and even that zigzag that looks that probably is meant to be the uh, the catwalk. It's too uh, too Low. straight, or no, too straight. Like it's oh, we yeah. know from inside how damaged everything was. Where here it's sort yeah. of this is what I imagine it to be new. Again, eight years of um, environment being thrown at even the uh, the massive arches of the the dome itself sort of nothing seems to be dented. There's no there's no debris on it from the hurricane, um, and as I said earlier, there's no sort of um, plant life growing <laughs> growing on it either. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to tell because the aviary that it the mountain wraps around the front of it, and so we don't really see how far back it goes and we also don't see because of the mist here clinging to the cliffs we don't see exactly where the uh that uh uh catwalk goes to we see what's presumably the um the catwalk or the bridge to on the catwalks further behind it uh kind of going off to where the cliff is Mm. but even then that kind of feels like it's too low in the mountain in the mountains then again, we never we don't actually see where the um or how far down the uh the spiral staircase takes them either, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that's sort of 
another thing with the geography here where you can clearly see the observatory plat or observatory up on top um, and it sort of it comes I reckon it comes down sort of a finger um, much like uh, Ministerif in Lord of the Rings how it's sort of out you've got yeah. a big jutting sort of spire like spire of rock coming out into the canyon and it's on top of that and this dome sort of in, encircles that whole spire before the second section we can see here which is the big roof section sort of goes deeper into the canyon um, because we don't see the bottom platform under the observatory here and unfortunately too like unless there's some time we've had a bit of a time jump here we've seen a couple of seconds ago them maneuvering the boat away from the bank and mm -hmm. sort of as it's starting to turn and point downstream and and here we are we're looking we can only see the dome through a small gap in the in the foliage from the river and the gate's gone like we're around a corner mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think that there's like something of a cut here and it's not really well explained because it kind of means it kind of is uh the way it's filmed and and the sequence never really implies that there's a gap here but for it to make sense there would have to be because they're a lot further away from the aviary than the previous shot and in fact there's even a um it, there's it looks like they're um they've already gone through a little bit of a strait where there's another cage laying in the water well, and you can that's... see this the land narrows and then it looks like it would have opened up again mm. yeah well that's the thing I'm Almost make it almost feels like they've sort of left the main river behind and gone down this mm -hmm. little inner branch. And again, mm -hmm. as you're saying, like there's more cages in the wood. There's one here almost completely submerged, and there's another couple on the bank behind, just behind Grant's legs. We can't quite see, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's just it's odd. It's the couple of these odd little jumps that makes it frustrating. Mm -hmm. But looking the other way, it's like we never see any spot where there's a second branch. We just see the kind of um. Mm. We just see we just see the wall of foliage behind them, and so obviously the rest of the river is off screen, and we see some more cages um, at the bank, and the smaller one presumably for infants, you know. Mm. Yeah, and one interesting interesting one interesting thing I could see too is the um on the uh, the left side behind Grant there where that rock rocky stuff the rocky bank sort of comes down to the water's edge you can see mm -hmm. the lines there where it almost looks like it's been um, et, like been eaten away by construction equipment or something like they've taken rock away from there to build the dock or um, or to, to use it as um, earth for something else it does look like that it does have that kind of constructed kind of look to it like they chipped away at the rock there you know yeah, yeah it's not especially when you look at the rest of the canyon walls either side of it it looks like it's a, a cutting for something like they've cut the rock away mm -hmm. and, and maybe done it for the foundation of the um the dock mm -hmm. that we don't see <laughs> <laughs> uh, it also doesn't help here that this was actually a live shot that they digitally um added the added more cliffs and the aviary to later on in post-production this was actually an on-location shot done on a river in Kauai. yeah and then they just shot or, i mean they just added the the cliff sides and the aviary digitally mm. yeah and then even like even again back up the top where the observatory platform or the observatory is when we were back up there earlier after the spinosaur come through the fence the only sort of 
plantings or trees uh, to the left of the uh, the building, and there's nothing really to the right except for a view out across um, the canyon, and then sort of a bit of a rocky rocky hill beyond that. So that might be the hill they're sort of <laughs> floating by now. But we're going to talk more about this boat in future minutes. But one thing in this shot here too, we've got that that um, embryonic administration InGen logo on the canopy of it, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was yep. interesting. Uh, OTC091, which registration number, maybe they had 91 of these. <laughs> unsure, unsure what the uh, the go was there, but mm-hmm. there's a uh, there's a radio antenna on the side of the cabin as well, which there is, is, and also looks like a spotlight, and obviously an air horn for the uh, for the horn on the boat. Yeah, well, the spotlight I'm pretty sure we see later when they uh, come across the uh, the poop, but. Um, the air horn, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Maybe, of course, this is a foggy area. Maybe they're using mm-hmm. it, and it would sort of lead to the fact that maybe there are more than one boat that uses these waterways. Mm-hmm. And a um, also looks like the windshield, or the, yeah, the windshield wiper is completely like broken and bent uh, forward. Mm-hmm. Not that it help on these windows. These windows look <laughs> filthy. Yeah. And we've got some cabin lights there in that too that we're going to see later on when they uh, get the engines running at night time. Mm-hmm. I suppose too, yeah, just before we do leave the uh, the Avery shot here too, even concept art, like you are saying, there's been, there is some concept art for the uh, the marina and that we get later on um, and some of the uh, the tower and that, but there's nothing really for the uh, aviary itself, which no. is a shame. Oh, Surely... There's a little bit. I've seen some. I've seen more from Ricardo Delgado than I've seen from anything else. There's, I know there's one of Tronodons chasing Billy on the hang glider, but there's also some nesting. Um, like initially, there's going to be one of the nests was going to be on top of the observation platform. The lower one there is actually within the aviary. Yeah. Okay. But uh, as we end the minute, we get sort of that transition as the boats. Drifting down river away from uh, away from the nightmare that was the aviary, um, and that's that's the aviary done. I don't. We've pretty much talked over the last couple of weeks, especially when Jay was on, how uh, how the aviary sequence compares to others in the franchise. Um, personally, I think it probably is the better sequence in this film, anyway. Um, probably the it's, high point. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably one of the best. Yeah, as much as I love being at the lab. Um, I, I would have loved a little bit more of it. Um, I think we do get a little bit more here. We get the observation area up top, the platform, the, the catwalks. There's sort of more more to the aviary that we see and interact with than just the uh, embryonics administration and the inside of the lab. Anything else on that you want to add before we get to the script? Yeah, I think we're good. All right. Um, over script and novel comparisons. After being seen by a few animals last minute, Grant Paul dive into the river and emerge on the other side of the mesh Avery wall, gasping for breath, much like we get here. Then a, that big Tranodon crashes into the mesh and actually tears, puts a tear in it a little bit. So interesting they're calling it mesh. That sort of tells me like the cyclone netting and that, which if they can uh, get into, if they can get into the catwalks and why have they not escaped out the walls before? Yeah. But um, at the dock up ahead, Amanda and Eric have found a rusty waterlogged barge that's somehow still floating, uh, carrying a tarp-covered cage. Uh, the boat was meant for transporting dinos up and down the river. Amanda pushes them away from the dock as uh, Alan and Paul climb on board, which there's there's your script. Ex- 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 uh, 
script explanation why the uh, the barge is here. Which again, why why they're carrying dinosaurs up and down? Mm-hmm. Maybe if it, it, it drifted in in river or come up river during the hurricane or something. Yeah, good. Everyone takes a breath and and sort of looks back at the remarkable structure they were caught in. That's it for the script. Over in the novel, we get a little bit more. Uh, everything about the scape happens much the same as we see in the script, but there's a little uh, some more additions. Uh, as they all look back at the structure of the aviary, Alan clenches his fists in anger. What kind of mind would try to put pteranodons in a birdcage? It was hubris, pure hubris. Pride so excessive that it failed to see the recklessness of its acts. And because of that recklessness, he had lost his apprentice and a friend. Goodbye, Billy, Alan whispers, sadly looking to the horizon. Goodbye, Billy, Eric whispers, or echoes beside Alan. Uh, thank you. And as they turn away, you can hear the sort of cries of angry pteranodons as they go off the cliff walls behind them, which... We don't sort of get that sound effect here as they're sort of floating away. We don't hear the animals. Mm-hmm. Oh, we might get a, I think we get a couple of cries out, but... Yeah, I was going to say, you can hear them kind of making a one of those... that cawing sound they make. So, yeah, it's sort of interesting. Alan's sort of having a bit of a thought to himself about InGen. <laughs> Again, why, why you bring these animals and keeping them in a cage. But it, it, that goes all the way back to Jurassic Park, too. T-Rex doesn't want to, <laughs> to be fed. It wants to hunt. Yeah. Which is a good little callback, but uh, the big Trenodon that hit the uh, mesh is now standing on the shore of the river, looking at the big iron gate. It's say she, it says she, so I'm guessing it's not a it's not a male. But um, she slowly stalks forward, um, some instinct telling her that this familiar section of her world has changed in some small but vital detail. She nudges at the gate, um, and hears a sharp tinny sound that startles her, and with an angry call, she steps back. Um, her wings striking the gate as she tries not to fall backwards. Uh, then she sees it, the gate hanging an inch ajar, uh, the shiny bar the prey had used to secure the uh, secure it in place was dangling helplessly. She pushed the gate and it moved. Uh, the, the door opened and the, tranador, uh, the predator stepped through into an unsuspecting world. The food was hers again. No one was going to cheat her hatchlings, no one. Which <laughs> sort of goes on to... Uh, we don't really get the thoughts of animals <laughs> in the uh, the franchise, so it's sort of odd the novel went that way. Yeah. But then again, at the same time, I think it's interesting because we actually get to see the Pteranodon escape, and it's, I don't know why, but I, ha- I don't think I ever read the novelization. But I get this striking yeah. feeling that yep. when I was a kid, I saw that happen. You know? Like, I saw it in theaters or something, because... I mean, obviously, I probably couldn't have. I mean, mm. then again, it is the first Jurassic Park I ever saw in theaters. It's sort of, um, even going back to before, whether or not we need to see the, the gate not close properly, I feel um, a film that didn't have the issues production-wise as it had, this would be a, uh, a little bit of a red flag to say they're going to come back and possibly be a nuisance again in the film before we end out, and not just be flying away in the end um, which sadly doesn't happen well they were meant to actually initially come back in the uh, course of the film there's meant to be they scripted or not scripted but they uh, came up with a couple different ideas including raptors versus the pteranodons and the spinosaurus versus the pteranodons I don't yeah I'm just trying to think what what the pteranodons versus the spinosaur would look like because yeah they're they're a bit crazy but I don't think even they would <laughs> risk taking on something so big. 
not when there's humans there running away. It goes back to the the Raptors versus T Rex battle and the the Rotunda and that. Like you're attacking each other. The little humans are there. Go after them. Mm-hmm. But that's uh that's minute sixty five. David, anything else you want to discuss before we get heavy for the day? Yeah, I think we're good. All right. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is drasticminutes.wordpress.com, and you can find the Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters. Nothing more and nothing less. Uh, Are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on Earth or Heaven could get me on that island. You're Desky. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to Mommy now! Take the phone to Mommy! It's the, it's the dinosaur there! Okay.